This is In Hindsight, Half a Century of Research Discoveries in Canadian History, presented by Dr. Donald B. Smith and produced by the Ontario Historical Society. Today we've got a very important episode, a very interesting one, about a very colourful character, and his name is Sir Augustus Deste, and he was Queen Victoria's cousin, uh, well, first cousin, but not recognised. His problem in life was that he was, his father was a son of George III, Uh, George had a number of sons, and George III forbade his sons to marry without his permission. It's called the Royal Marriages Act. And the Duke of Sussex, his youngest son, married without his permission. Therefore, the marriage was regarded as illegitimate. It was not recognized by the British crown. And that's the curse of the gentleman whose name is Sir Augustus Deste, that he's illegitimate, uh, regarded as illegitimate, and he cannot get any... uh, his his right as a member of the royal family is is denied, and this was very common. Other sons of George the Third did the same, and uh, he, he's in he's in with a number of other people. Um, and uh, really, things only improve after George the Third dies, and at that point, he's able to get a little bit of comeback. Uh, he was named Sir Augustus Deste, and that's well that's his his title at the time of this episode. Now, he is the piece de resistance in this. He's the one that really gives things zip and interest because it involves an artifact which he gives to Peter Jones, which has quite a history of itself. But let's start start with really the credit. And uh, we'll return to Peter Jones. We have, have He's been introduced now and his wife, Eliza. So we'll continue with the Credit River and Peter Jones. They have now become Methodists. They've adopted, the Mississaugas have adopted many of them. There's still some holdouts, of course, but a vast majority of the community have become Methodists and they have adopted to farming. They still continue to hunt and fish where possible, which is not that, it's not that possible anymore because of settlement all around the community, at the mouth of the Credit River. But nevertheless, they, they, they do continue to a certain extent with that, but farming is the mainstay of the economy, agriculture. And they were doing well. Uh, For example, uh, an American visitor in 1832, she makes this comment, this is 1832, we found the credit people busy carrying logs to the sawmill. And as it was about noon, at many of the houses, they were feeding their oxen. I went into several of their houses and found them very comfortable with good-looking beds, etc., much superior to the Indians in the Seneca village near Buffalo. Those would be the Haudenosaunee. So very strong compliment there to the credit people by the 1832 visitor. What was part of this experiment, which was a very important element, was the school. The Credit River Mississauga had a school. And this is quite remarkable. It's stated, for example, at this point, it's believed, uh, my source, that in Upper Canada, as Ontario was then called, only one child out of 20 received an elementary education, whereas in the credit, elementary education was available. So 
to all. In the 1830s, many credit Mississauga, many of the young people, had become literate in English, while many of their non-Indigenous neighbors could neither read nor write. So it was extraordinary, this story. The Mississaugas knew the vital importance of education and the importance of land. You had to have an economic base, and that's what land provided through farming. Very important. Land and education, those are very important objectives. New challenges arose in the mid-1830s, just after the period I've just described. The lieutenant governor, Sir Francis Bond Head, was very influenced by the American example. The Americans had begun in the 1830s the policy of removal, that is, removing the First Nations on the eastern seaboard, uh, in the eastern part of what is now the United States, moving them west of the Mississippi. Uh, this is the policy of removal, and the classic case, the one that's best known, is that of the Cherokee, who are removed uh, well, hundreds of mi- hundreds of thousands, uh, no, not hundreds of thousands, but just hundreds of miles from their homeland in Georgia and the Carolinas and and move and Tennessee, and moved over across the Mississippi. This is removal. It's removing them from this area, which is highly desired, and settlement will proceed after they've been removed to this new location west of the Mississippi. Well, this influenced Sir Francis Bond Head. He thought of a, a Canadian equivalent, which would be to move the First Nations in southern Ontario to Manitoulin Island, the large island on the north shore of Lake Huron. And there they could, well, could hunt and fish. And, but eventually they were going to die out anyways. That was his, his theory. So he wasn't too concerned about their well-being. And this idea of removal in Upper Canada, of going north to what was around today's Sudbury, um, the mountain line south of Sudbury, um, huge highland, moving them there, that was very, very upsetting to the Mississauga of the Credit and other Methodist First Nations people who had begun to adopt to agriculture. This is, what a terrible idea from their point of view. Convinced that the credit experiment was a failure, Bondhead proceeded. Immediately, the missionary allies enter in, Edgen Ryerson, Robert Alder, who's the leader of uh, missionary superintendent for the English Methodists and other supporters come forward to defend the right of the Mississauga, the the Anishinaabe, the Ojibwe speaking people in Southern Ontario to stay where they wish if they, if they want. And this is a great asset, many negatives with the outreach of Christian missionaries. I'm forced to admit, but here they're looking extremely good. They step in and fight to help the First Nations stay where they are. The reaction of the Mississauga was a wonderful quote, and I'd like to share it with you. Joseph Sawyer, that was Peter Jones's uncle, he was the head chief of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And when he learned a Bondhead scheme, this is a quote he gave, just a classic, just wonderful. Now, he begins, now we raise our own corn, potatoes, wheat, we have cattle, and many comforts and conveniences. But if we go to Manitoulin, we could not live. Soon we should be extinct as a people. We could raise no potatoes, corn, pork, or beef. Nothing would grow by putting the seed on the smooth rock. 
We could get very little of the birds the governor speaks of, and there are no deer to be had. We have been bred amongst the white people, and our children cannot live without bread and other things to which they are now accustomed. So categoric no from the head chief. In order to rally support, Peter Jones planned a trip to England and supported by Methodists and also a new organization in Britain, the Aborigines Protection Society. And it was formed of anti-slavery groups. When slavery was abolished, they they stayed in in existence and changed their focus to protecting, to arguing to protect indigenous people within the British Empire. So this organization is called the Aborigines Protection Society, and they are allies, as are the Methodists and the Quakers, very important allies in Britain. Peter crosses uh, the North Atlantic and uh, there meets with, well, Robert Alder, who's in England at that point. He meets with uh, Quakers. He meets with other supporters and particularly a very prominent member of the Aboriginals Protection Society, which is Sir Augustus Deste. What the Peter Jones and the Methodist First Nations want is a title deed. They want they don't they want to have a, a deed which states that they have the right to stay in this area and they cannot be removed. That's what they're after. And through Robert Alder and um, the and Sir Gestus Deste, they're able to secure a time with the colonial secretary. And thanks, I think primarily, well, the Quakers are very important too. But thanks to their allies, they're able to engineer. or or secure an interview or an appearance, perhaps, before Queen Victoria herself. This is extraordinary. And what they want, Peter Jones is bringing a memorial from the credit people. They want a title deed. They want want uh, this deed to secure to them and their descendants forever the tract on which they reside at the Credit River. So Peter Jones has a very important mission here. And thanks to Sir Augustus Deste and, well, other allies, he has reached this extraordinary circumstance that he's able to uh, actually present his petition to the, the, the Queen of England. Who was he? Let's now just take a little diversion, and I'm going to introduce you to Sir Augustus Deste. It's rich material. It's going to be very difficult to limit myself. Please keep in mind, there's a text to every one of these audio broadcasts, and the text will have supplementary details, and it'll all be clearly set out. But biographically, that's I'll try to be short as possible. Sir Augustus Deste was born in 1794. He was one of the two children of the Duke of Sussex and his wife, who was a noble. She was a, a, a Scottish noblewoman. Her, her, her father had been, or that'd be Sir Augustus Deste's grandfather, uh, his mother's father, was the last royal governor of Virginia before the revolution. So they, but that didn't, wasn't enough for George III. He, he'd go, his son, uh, his Duke of Sussex had married against his will and that was it. And he so, no. It's not it's not accepted under the Royal Marriages Act, and Sir Augustus and his sister are well, they're little gentlemen. They have no, it's it's Sir Augustus. This is the burr under his saddle. This is what bothers him for for the remainder of his life, really, when he reaches adulthood. Well, just a little bit about um, Sir Augustus. He he was he joined the army. He was involved. Um, he became the aide de camp to Sir John Lambert, who was the British 
commander on their ill-fated attack on New Orleans in eight, at the battle at the end of the War of 1812. So he was present at the uh, assault, the the skirmish with the Americans at the last in the last episode in the War of 1812 in in New Louisiana. He was there. British, of course, were defeated. Now, after that, his army career continues, and then he goes, after George III dies, he begins going into high gear to get his rights returned as a legitimate descendant of the royal family. And the big issue is he wants a claim to a seat in the House of Lords. And that's all this legal work is quite involved, but that's not our purpose today. We're not, that was his, that was his dilemma. His, it really was his obsession and uh, spent enormous amount of time on that. Well, he had a very great affinity to, to indigenous people from North America. And maybe this went back to the, the New Orleans experience. Anyways, he'd made contact he, and he, he helped First Nations people in Britain he would help them enormously. And this was well known. And Robert Alder, the Methodist, uh, English Methodist leader, he knew that too. Um, so it's pretty clear that it would be Robert Alder, uh, but others would also know in the Methodist community that Sir Augustus Deste had this intense interest. And so when Peter arrived in London, one of the first stops was to see Sir Augustus. And he includes this in his diary. This is so rich, this topic, because we have diaries, we've got letters, we've got observable evidence. There's just incredibly rich. Here's what he said. Uh, Peter met uh, with Robert Alder, the missionary superintendent the, for the English Methodists. They dined together with Augustus, Sir Augustus, and this is what Peter wrote in his diary. February 7th, 1838. We found him much interested for the Indians in America and very anxious that their lands should be secured to them. My goodness, what an intense interest. And he, there were other First Nations people that he'd helped, uh, and Peter's going to be certainly another. That he dines with them. Uh, he dines with Sir Augustus a number of times, and it's in his diary and in Sir Augustus's diary. Talk about a cornucopia of riches. We have Sir Augustus' diary. Not that it was intentional. It was packed actually quite accidental. Sir Augustus's diary, which is now in, in the Royal College of Surgeons in London, in their, in their archives, in their library in London, which I've, I've had the good fortune to see, it was saved by a miracle. It really was. It was found in, the, in, in a hospital, and uh, the exact details need not, aren't forthcoming in my mind, but basically it was going to be, um, you, you just put in the pile of scrap paper because of the paper shortage in the war. And well, anyways, a very astute doctor, uh, Douglas Firth, he had the good sense to check it over and all. And wow, this was Sir Augustus's diary. And why is it important to him? Because Sir Augustus had MS. And he's one of the first, it's, it's the first recorded example. He records his, his, his struggle with it in his diary. And uh, also miscellaneous details, uh, but it's very rich and, and really important. So we do have his diary. And in his diary, Sir Augustus mentions his visits with Peter. Uh, one of the occasions, he invited Sir George Simpson, the head of the Hudson's Bay Company, to dine with them. Uh, 
In short, Sir Augustus is setting up these contacts. We have a, this is so important, so important in life today, isn't it? It's not what you know, but who you know. Isn't that the old saying? Well, Peter's got this access to some very high level people, thanks to Sir Augustus. And that is the end result of the audience. I mean, I'm pretty safe to say that uh, Sir Augustus would be, the, he, he was not, at this point, he's been given that he's been knighted, but he's still not regarded as a legitimate member of the royal family. He's still working on that and hopes to be accepted in the House of Lords. That's a legal action that's underway, but um, it's not not a done deal. And, uh, and, and and on the side, he has this great passion for uh, Indigenous people. So now... Time for Peter. Well, they have the audience. It's really quite something. Uh, five minutes or so, very brief. But the Queen does meet him, and um, it, it's recorded in her diary. My goodness, aren't we lucky? Uh, it did happen, and she. Peter's understanding was that the title deed would be forthcoming. So good, happy, back to Canada. Uh, well, it was not the case, unfortunately. That the bad news came within a year or two. The British weren't going to proceed. They weren't going to give a title deed to the credit people or to uh, Alderville, John Sunday's community. Uh, would, um, Sir Augustus had helped John Sunday. Uh, he's the great leader of the Alderville Mississauga, and he'd helped him, uh, Sir Augustus. In fact, when Peter Jones left, Sir Augustus had a letter for John Sunday, which he asked him, please, to give to him in, in, when he was back in Upper Canada in Alderville. So... This is the departure, and shortly before the departure, Sir Augustus gives this magnificent pipe. It's a peace pipe. It's a you know, pipe tomahawk. It's it's a classic example of that genre, and a, a very expensive pipe. And this is to be used. He gives this to Peter and says, this is to be used at your councils. And I wish you every best success. In fact, I'll just hear so You see how Sir Augustus is into the spirit of this. I wish both your wife and to yourself calm seas and right winds for your passage across the great salt water. Well, Sir Augustus was so devoted, and that pipe was just the perfect example of that. And that story of that pipe is what I'm going to now shift into very quickly. But just a few more words about Sir Augustus. Well, what did Peter do? Well, he sort of, when he got back to Canada, he sent him a, a gift. Uh, well, before he left, he, gave, he yes, it, it'd be uh, after after his farewell to Sir Augustus, he sent a gift, and that was uh, must have been actually from Canada. It was a small bottle of bear's grease for good thoughts, but also the oil of the bear is used for various purposes. And one use is to prevent the falling out of hair. So I think Sir Augustus was worrying about his increasingly bald head. So anyways, Peter, it's kind of fun, sent him a small bottle of bear's grease. And of course, thanked him profusely. And they, he kept up. Peter saw him again in 1845, after the disappointment of not getting the title deeds. It's five years later. It's actually seven years later. No title deeds. But Peter came back. And he visited Sir Augustus, who had really was in bad shape at this point because the MS had continued. And uh, Peter records in his diary, he found him as kind and as much interested for the welfare of the Aborigines of our country as ever. But he added, I regret to say he is quite an invalid and not able to walk without assistance. 
That's December, that's January 1st, 1845. So Sir Augustus Deste, the disease is, is just, it's made such progress. And within, uh, well, Peter would never see him again. Peter would never be back, actually. That was his third and last visit to Britain. And uh, Sir Augustus uh, passed away. Now, the story's not over. And, oh, the title deeds issue is, we, we will continue that. That's, that's something that will recur again. And uh, we can leave that momentarily. But what we should do is the history of the pipe, because I was so interested in that pipe. It was uh, described in Peter Jones' History of the Ojibwe Nation, which came out after his death, edited by his wife. And so we knew it from there. And that's uh, 1860. So that was out there. But there's also photographs. There's a photograph. Oh, Peter Jones mentions it, mentions the pipe in that trip in 1845. He mentions it, shows it in Aberdeen, Scotland in one of his talks. That's in a newspaper article. So he definitely is using the pipe. We know about it. It's used at a very important council at the Credit River in 1840. So it's extant. It's uh, photographed by, um, on that 1845 trip, it was photographed in Scotland. He was uh, photographed with the pipe. That's a really, really important series of early photographs. So we know it's around. I knew about it. I wanted very much, of course, to find it. So not too successful (laughs) for a number of years, I wasn't. But just hang in there in this history business. You never give up. Never surrender. Because sometimes you're lucky. And this time I was. A dealer, rare book dealer, uh, came up with a, another, another photograph, actually. And this was, this was interesting. This kept my interest going. This is 1977. Um, and then I think I started to get a little bit sharper on this. I, I tried to, uh, his, Peter Jones's third son became a medical doctor. He married, um, uh, uh, his, his wife had a, pre, she, she was a widow and she had three sons. So I thought that would might be the way to go. Try to find out what happened, what were these sons, what would they possibly have, have had the pipe? And um, some objects went to the Smithsonian in 1898, but the photograph, the um, pipe wasn't there, but their photographs, it definitely was around in 1898 when his third son, the medical doctor, went to the Smithsonian and the Smithsonian obtained some objects, but they did not obtain the pipe. The pipe is then still at large. Now, I'm really interested in this, but I'm not going anywhere. I've tried the the descendants, but uh, no luck. So uh, serendipity, good luck. Good luck comes into it. A gentleman in Manitoba. Now, how in heaven's name is Manitoba related to the peace pipe given by Sir Augustus Deste, which was used in councils in southern Ontario. Well, no, there's not not any obvious connection. But this is where it's fascinating. Very, very kindly, Lillian Montier, who was the librarian of the Woodland Indian Cultural and Educational Center in Brantford, Ontario. That was their title in 1982. In 1982, it's the Woodland Cultural Center today. I gave you the old title. In any case, and I've even got the exact date, August 18th, 1982, she received a letter from a gentleman called David Burdell in Reston, Manitoba. That's well west of Winnipeg. And David (laughs) explained that he knew about a, a peace pipe. And he didn't know if there's any connection with the Six Nations, Haudenosaunee or, or Iroquois. So out of that letter written, 
well now, gosh, 40, 40 years ago, 41 years ago, out of that letter, um, well, I got in touch with David, and he told me that he saw the pipe. The pipe was in the possession of Reg Campion, who was um, at his home in Pipestone, a small village near Reston, Manitoba. And this was it. This was the pipe I could tell from the photographs. I mean, he sent me a shot, and I, I knew this was it. So, gosh. Fortunately for Canadian history, Reg Campion had left the piece, the pipe tomahawk or peace pipe hanging up on a beam in the family living room. And that's where David first saw it. David Bradell, who told me, who told Lillian Montier, who told me. So I've gone out to Manitoba to find this. I was living in the West then, wasn't as distant. And lo and behold, I went to the, we went to the Campion farm and we saw it. My goodness. What did Reg Campion tell us? Well, he this is this is this tells you how chancy it is. This business we're in is just <laughs> sometimes it is so fortunate with it that we do these things are saved. What Reg had got the pipe from Sylvanus Dixon. He was a, a farm laborer originally from Hagersville, Ontario. That's near where the credit of the Mississauga were living at New Credit, and this Mr. Dixon had come out to Manitoba in the 1920s. And he was a farm laborer. He'd helped on the farm of Reg Campion's brother and uh, this in the early, early 1940s. Now, here's the connection. Here's the pay dirt. So it's Reg's brother. And anyways, Reg would go to Mason meetings, Masonic Lodge meetings in Verdon. And he knew his this uh, Mason, Sylvanus Dixon, who was the farm labor. He knew he was a Mason and uh, he drove Sylvanus to the Masonic Lodge meetings in Verdon and they became close friends. And that is the link. Sylvanus apparently instructed the, the Campion family that the treasured Indian peace pipe and some of his Masonic medals be given to him, which was done after the Sylvanus Dixon, the farm labor, when he passed away in 1945 in his 81st year. The pipe went then to Reg Campion. But not knowing really what it what it was, except it's beautiful. It's, and it's it's it, 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 he, he thank heaven saved it. And then it's thanks to Reg Campion's friend David Riddell. David does some work, gets in touch with the Woodland Cultural Center. Uh, they get in touch with me, and wow, there it is. Um, now, Mr. Campion was extremely generous in that he put he put the pipe on permanent loan to the Manitoba, it's called old name, Manitoba Museum of Man and Nature in Winnipeg. And it was uh, put on permanent loan there. And what happened after that, the pipe uh, was actually uh, uh, the custodianship of the Woodland Cultural Center was brought in. I'm not sure exactly what the exact wording is today, but the pipe is in, uh, it's, it's in Brantford. And uh, also, this is so important to the credit. The people of the credit are now living at this the new credit, is called, and uh, we'll cover that one. And we'll touch upon it certainly in, in one of our, in the last of the Mississauga, the four Mississauga stories, the next episode. But anyways, the Mississauga then are living at New Credit. The, the pipe is very important. They know the history of it. They also were curious. And now we, it's, it's, it's in Brantford. And now it might well be 
um, it's, it's new credit though it's their pipe and they use it it's also on their their logo their their it, it, the pipe is there. This is I'm so important. I guess and for Scots, the uh, stone of scone is it <laughs> the, the very important stone in the Scottish throne? Whatever. I'm sorry. I, I found my example is slightly off. You know what I'm trying to bring across. This is the important, important thing, and it just is incredibly important. We are indebted to David Burdell for researching his history and to Reg Campion who, once he learned its value, donated it to a major Canadian museum. And the Mississauga used that to this day.